0: Thank you for listening to One Out of Four Experts. I'm Brookie the Dragon. Remember, these humans are not real experts.
1: Enjoy the show. One out of
2: experts.
0: Good morning! And welcome to One Out of Four Experts, the show where my co hosts and I endeavor to bring you topics of interest, topics and subjects that just one week ago we knew basically nothing about. Each segment, one of the four of us will be your expert. And the other three, the, the other three are going to try to provide some. Uh, I got nothing. Guys, I got nothing. Oh, Please no. take it away from me. <laughs> oh, Josh. Um, uh, I'm Josh, I guess. I'm Joel.
1: I'm Caitlin.
2: And I guess that makes me Chris.
1: <laughs>
0: I like that
3: we did the little morning show thing. I think we can pull that off because we do. these. This show comes out in the Monday
0: morning. And we're actually recording it in a morning for once. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. We saw we saw the morning We today. never think
3: to do that, but we can just like lean into the morning thing.
0: So for context, yeah. we had a little bit of a sleepover last night. We and did. this morning we all stood together on a bridge nearby and held hands as we watched the sunrise, <laughs> which was
3: pretty nice. But why didn't we like document that at all, guys? We did a because bad job no, of remember, social media. Because no, remember
1: we, we were like, this needs to be something that only we have ever seen.
3: And we are like, live in the moment. Yeah. Get off your phone.
0: Yeah, exactly. You you millennials. No, Josh threw my phone off the bridge. I remember now. And we took that vow. We were like, no electricity for 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. And now we're back on the grid. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) we're back on the grid. 45 minutes is not a very long time.
3: So, who won the points last time? Chris won
0: the most points. He took five points away. Yeah. Nice, dude. What does that mean?
3: That means you. Get to go first. Chris, what do you got? <laughs> oh. Um, mm. <laughs> did you bring a thing? Or
2: Yeah, I did, actually. I was going to act like I didn't, but I did. So I brought a local a local topic. Whoa. I like those. So right off the coast of Boston, which, as we all know, is where we are currently, there are a number of islands out in the Boston Harbor. Oh. So, uh, specifically, there are 34 of them.
3: Oh, did you swim to all of them for I this did. topic? Nice. Yeah. Chris can um, swim?
2: Yeah. I learned for this topic specifically in the last week. That is
1: dedication.
2: How to swim. Uh, They all have different interesting stories. A few of them have old forts on them from various wars that you can go visit. Uh, Shutter Island was filmed mostly on Peddox Island. I didn't know Ooh, that. I yeah, that's not know that. real cool. The book Shutter Island was actually based on the island Long Island in the Boston Harbor. Separate from the island in the state of New York? Yes, not Long Island, which is a different place. <laughs> LG. There's i li- I'm just I'm just kind of naming some of the islands to okay. give you context that there's some interesting islands. I bet out there. I
1: bet the one that's your topic will be the last one you say. <laughs>
2: oh, shit. Point for Caitlin. <laughs> yes. Uh, no. There's there's little.
0: I <laughs> oh, reject. No, no. I mean, I'll give you a point. I'm okay. gonna give you a point.
2: There's okay. uh, there's little Brewster Island, which is a great name, uh, and it's home to the oldest continually running lighthouse in the country.
1: Oh, that's cool. Still. And it's called Little Brewster Island. Little little Brewster thought, Brewster I thought I thought you like gave it that little nope. moniker, Little well, Hank Williams. well uh, over here we have a little
2: Brewster. <laughs> no, that's its god given name. Its, god- um, it's Christian it's,
3: name. Uh, yeah, it was. That's not how <laughs> then islands
2: there's work. Uh, there's there's deer. Island, which is home to a gigantic waste treatment plant, which was the solution to years of Boston just dumping human waste right into oh, the harbor. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Boston Pea Party, as I've named it. Oh uh,
1: yes, <laughs> point for Chris. Absolutely, point oh, for Chris. That was great. But
2: there's one island in particular that I want to talk about, and it's the last one I'm going to name. Yes. And it is Spectacle Island.
1: Whoa, that sounds like a good one to it get is into. Where glasses came from, Chris? Wow. No points for Joel. Oh, okay. v- why do so, you say uh, that? So here's spect- oh spectacles. I see. Yeah.
2: Well, yeah. So actually, no. I will give you a point because that is why it's named that.
1: Are you serious? It's not because it, it, it's that's a- not
2: where they came from. Right. But it, it's <laughs> it's, <laughs>
1: it's not
3: that- where glasses were invented. <laughs> yeah. It's shaped
2: like glasses, though. Which oh, is why cool. That. Oh. And that's that's it. That's my topic. It's that's it. It's Shaped nice. like glasses. We'll be right back. Um. So for it's about <laughs> <laughs> it's about four miles off the shore of Boston, and it's about 114 acres. Today, it is used mostly as a public park with five miles of hiking trails. It's got some nice gazebos on it. Ooh, gazebo. It's got a a lifeguarded beach. It's got a marina and a visitor center. So, overall, it's a very nice, relaxing place. Sounds Sounds beautiful. Uh, If you you get close to Spectacle Island or even pay to visit, you'll notice that uh, along the entirety of the island, there's a stone wall traveling around the edge, which is the telltale sign that it's a man made island. Ooh! Mm, did they build it using that a copper Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into it. So those rocks are, it's a retaining wall and they're holding the whole island together because Spectacle Island didn't actually uh, used to be one big 114 acre island with hiking trails and a beach and a nice gazebo. It actually used to be two smaller islands ah. called the Drumlins, which uh, are elongated hills that look vaguely egg-like. Uh, that's very
1: cute, I like that, drumlins. Yeah. And
2: they're formed by a uh, glacial ice moving around and bumping into itself. So the island was these two little hills sticking out of the water connected by a spit, which is the word for a narrow point of land projecting into the sea. Huh. So you just learned thought two- thought
1: that was an isthmus. I,
2: that's something. Huh. Isthmus. Um, but you, you just that's learned two two new words. Yeah,
1: that's cool. I love those mini topics. And there
2: will be a quiz. Uh, so two So two drumlins connected by a spit- Okay, I like that. Is a very British-sounding sentence.
1: Mm I T Drumlin's (laughs) connected by a spit. Like that.
2: Yeah, point (laughs) for Caitlin. Um, I wasn't going to say it, but I did right here. You could see, uh, Caitlin, if you'd be so kind as to say oh, that. Oh, you know
1: you never have to ask, I buddy. Just, <laughs> I just assumed,
2: I assumed you would. It just comes right out that way. So uh, if you picture what that might look like from above, you start to realize why it's called Spectacle Island, because so it looks like on a purpose? pair of spectacles.
3: If it's man-made, did they like complete the so, spectacles? Because they're like, oh, spectacles. We'll They'll just do
2: that. that part is not man-made. That's what the islands actually used to look okay. like. Okay. So it naturally looked like that. But that's not what it looks like anymore, and a lot happened to this little island to get it to where it is today, so I'm going to get into it. <gasps> yes. So, uh,
1: island narratives. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs>
2: so uh, in the 1700s or the 18th century, if you nasty, Spectacle Island was used as a smallpox <laughs> quarantine for European migrants. Fine. So uh, yeah. think, think like the hatch in Lost, but the hatch is the whole island and the quarantine is inside out. We got to go uh, back. And Desmond is a bunch of Europeans and the disease is smallpox instead of a plot device. Okay. Um,
0: they <laughs> well, left Europe. <laughs> they,
2: they just left Europe and they are like, see in another life, brother. <laughs> I can only find one source that mentioned this smallpox quarantine, so it's very possible that it's not true. Um, And if that's the case, we'll remove that part from the segment from the season one DVD. Uh, (laughs) But for now, we'll leave it in. So I'm just going to jump ahead to something that all sources agree on. It's the early 19th century, and you're a Boston resident. You know how it is. Waking up, hungover, walking down to Dunk's to pick up a large iced coffee and a box of assorted munchkins, and you eat them all in your shitty studio apartment, where there's only one sink that you share between your bathroom and your kitchen. You pay $1,800 a month. You brush your teeth using a half-drank Gansett Tallboy from last night because you didn't pay the water bill, and you head out into the oppressive, moist 80-degree weather to go scalp some tickets and catch a Sox game. They lose. We all know the Red Sox of the early 1800s weren't in their prime. (laughs) (laughs) You had to catch a punk show at the Brighton Music Hall. Wait, hang on. uh, Interjection. Punk shows would be at
0: fucking O'Brien's. They're not at the Brighton Music Hall. No, there's punk shows there. They're Real everywhere. punk
2: shows are O'Brien. True. <laughs> That's Very where you get true. your crust on. Point for Josh because crust punk does come up later. Fuck <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, so you go you go to catch a punk show. Hey, early nineteenth century Boston residents, some girls say to you outside the venue, smoking American spirits. You do your patented move: the twirl and double finger guns. <laughs> yes. It does not work. <laughs> oh, every time my, my hopes time. get get so high. Yeah. Uh, you're humiliated. You just want to curl up in your shitty studio apartment and cry yourself to sleep, but it's summer, so of course they're doing construction on the Beeline at 3 a.m. You can't sleep through that shit, So, so what do you do? You got to get away from the hustle and bustle of early 19th century Boston. You got to take a vacation. And what better place to vacation to than someplace very close to where you live? That's right. Come visit scenic Spectacle Island right off the coast of Boston for panoramic views, lovely ocean breezes, and the third island thing. Uh, so... What I just described was the average day in the life of an early 1800s Bostonian. And as you can imagine, a lot of them just wanted to get away for a while.
0: I really like that they still had to pay $1,800 a month of 19th century money. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah Josh, That's right, there were
1: also munchkins.
0: When when wages were
2: mere cents a day. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's adjusted for inflation. Yeah. Okay, fair. Um, so, uh, yeah, they just want to get away for a while. Spectacle Island became sort of a vacation spot or even just a day trip location for Bostonians. who just wanted to get the fuck out of the city. In fact, it became so popular that they built a hotel on it. And uh, what do you do when you build a hotel? You build a second hotel right next to it. So two hotels were constructed on Spectacle Island in 1847 to house all the tourists and day trippers who wanted to spend time on this nice little island in the Boston Harbor. And uh, you could probably picture it. It's uh, it's a nice nice little inn, cool summer breeze, because this was before climate change. Totally fucked the earth. You're out on this little island with your best 1800s gal under your arm. You can stay at two hotels if you want. Fuck it. Uh, You can gamble and have sex with prostitutes and do a bunch of drugs if you want. You're on an island after all. And that's just what people did. This hotel was opened a mere four miles off the shore of Boston. You can still very clearly see the city, but this was far enough for visitors of the hotels to think, you know what I've always wanted to do? Everything the law says I can't do. So they did and did they did. I like to imagine these two (laughs) hotels were were rivals and the residents of each would get into full on battles on the island, uh, just drunk and coked out of their minds. But I couldn't find any solid evidence that that was the case. But there, there were fights. Basically, it was a lawless land. The hotel owners didn't really give a hoot. So it turns out in the 1800s, you can just set up camp on an island and do whatever the fuck you please <laughs> for a while. Because, oh, uh, great, yeah. The police didn't find out about this illegal island brothel/slash casino for 10 years. Whoa. Wow, good, good yeah. job! See
1: it from the shore,
2: yeah. Good they job, they called locals. it the Doing.
1: golden decade.
2: Way to keep your mouth shut, Revia. The police finally shut down both hotels in 1857, so 10 years after they opened up. So now, uh, the city just has this island and it's just sitting there and it's looking real sexy to local businessman Nahum Ward who purchased the island for $15,000 and adjusted for inflation that is roughly $441,537.93. Just very
1: specific.
2: Yeah, it's actually a pretty good deal by today's standards. So what does he do with all this land that he basically got for free? Well, let me tell you. You see after uh, after the smallpox and gambling and prostitutes what was Boston's next biggest problem? Anyone?
1: Uh, molasses
2: You guessed it oh. It was uh, piles and piles of dead horses littering oh. the streets <laughs> <No>. Of course <laughs> Yes people it wasn't said molasses that- I'm sorry to get your hopes oh. up People said this was a one horse town no. So you gotta kill all the other horses. There were thousands. It's what? it's eighteen fifty seven and you're the same Boston resident. A little older, a little wiser. You wake up on your day off, which is every day, because you just got <laughs> fired for smoking weed at your job at CVS. You think to yourself, you know what I'm gonna do today? Not take a shower and stand outside the bar chain smoking. You're a crust punk, after all. Uh-huh. There it is. <laughs> uh, you leave your shitty studio apartment that you now pay 1850 a month for because your landlord should be in jail. And you go to open the door to the sidewalk, but it won't budge. You put all your weight into it and you manage to move the door about a half inch, just enough to peek through and see what's blocking your way. And you guessed it. It's a dead horse. It's a three-story high pile of dead horses. (laughs) Holy
3: (laughs) shit. Is this real?
2: Uh, I'm I'm exaggerating a bit, but- Three stories? Basically. That's too many
3: horses, Chris.
2: Yeah. Boston is flooding with dead horses and you're inconvenienced by it. Uh Uh-huh. Nahum Ward sees this problem and offers a solution. He says, hey, I've got an island I'm not using. Why don't we take all the dead horses there and just turn them into glue and grease? At once, everyone in Boston said in unison, Yes, Nahum Ward, take our dead horses, for we have already filled the Boston Harbor with dead horses, and they are now taking over the parts of the city we walk on. (laughs) So yes, Spectacle Island became a horse-rendering factory, and all of Boston's literal thousands of dead horses got shipped there, and they were turned into horse products. Uh, And it's true that the city would previously just dump their dead horses into the water. The Boston Nay Party, which is the best I could come up with. <laughs> um, so this this horse rendering factory operated for a while until, uh, congrats, we got rid of all the dead horses. So it just sort of turned into a, a general dump in 1910. Boston's trash would just get shipped over to Spectacle Island. And it, would, it became sort of a joke that people would just say they could walk to Spectacle Island from the mainland because there's just a big old bridge of trash. Spectacle Island was just Boston's trash incinerator until 1934, and it was literally just a burning pile of trash for years. Badass. So the incinerator itself eventually closed, but the island stayed Boston's dump for a long time. In the 1950s, apparently a bulldozer was completely swallowed by the trash. Badass, uh, and the island continued to be a dump until the 1990s. In 1992, the big dig happened, which, is, if you don't know, it's where they just rerouted I ninety three through a tunnel. Oh yeah, under the harbor and connected to Logan Airport and whatever. But That's pretty
3: uh, good. Did they did they use all the dirt to? They put it in the island. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, that's oh, point for oh. Joel. Point for Joel. So uh, <laughs>
0: they Minecrafted the shit out of it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> they did. So this connects to Spectacle Island because while they were doing this dig, it was big. So there was a lot of leftover dirt <laughs> and clay and land that used to be in one place. and Now they needed to put it in another place. So they put it on Spectacle Island. So what was once just a literal burning pile of trash in the Boston Harbor was turned into a beautiful grassy island with a bunch of trees and hiking trails and super nice now. And that retaining wall I mentioned earlier is because of this. A spectacle island you can visit today was made out of dirt from the Big Dig. But underneath all of this fresh Big Dig dirt is a bunch of trash and horse carcasses. Mm. And the remains of a brothel and a casino. And the original spectacle island that looks like glasses. We should do a treasure hunt there
0: and just dig and see what we find. Yeah, let's see how
3: far we can get.
0: (laughs) Bunch of prostitute jewelry. Whoever
1: gets the most horses wins. If we can get to
0: the (laughs) hotels, then... We could build, like, a a terracotta horse army with all the horse skeletons. (laughs) Oh, yeah,
1: an underground one.
0: (laughs) Jesus Christ.
2: So, yeah, the island today looks nothing like how it did before all that shit happened, and uh, man is capable of destroying the earth, uh, but also uh, creating some beautiful fake earth. And uh, ironically, one source I found claims that all the trash is going to eventually save Spectacle Island because eventually when global warming sends Boston into a watery grave, Spectacle Island will apparently stay above sea level because of all the trash.
3: It'll float?
2: Yeah. Sweet. That's fucking crazy. So uh, moral of the story, produce more trash, don't recycle. Uh,
1: One man's trash is another man's... (laughs) Island,
3: I guess. Miracle. (laughs) Uh,
2: Four out of four experts agree trash is good. Uh, Mm -hmm. Dead horses are good. Kill your horses.
1: Experts.
3: Okay, welcome back. We are on island time here at one out of four experts. It's like ninety some degrees in Boston. Hint for Caitlin's topic. She's got another island to share with us, huh?
1: Yes, eventually. It is. A, it is about an island. It's. It's about something to do with an island, so I thought it would be a good transition. I'm doing something a little different this time. I do wanna talk about something specific, but due to the nature of what it is, we literally just don't know very much about it. I do wanna talk about it though because it's really fascinating and you're gonna like it, but it's part of a larger topic, so I'll start with that larger one and then move into a specific thing that I'm talking about and it'll just be a little Frankenstein topic, okay? Okay. confused. All right, so first I'm going to talk about World Heritage Sites. Does anyone know what that that is?
2: Nope. Aren't I
1: think those
0: so. are those places where uh, there's like a his like a significant historical
1: yes point landmark. For you. Yes, point for you. Like
0: As- created by people.
1: So you get a point, but later more criteria was another section of criteria was added that is they gonna be uh, natural too, for right? natural.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. I see. So
2: you get a point, but you're on thin fucking <laughs> yeah, yeah. But <laughs> yes, just yes, watch
1: yeah. it. So I'm going to be talking about them because it's a it's a really cool concept that I was not aware of till now. It's it's a landmark or area selected by the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization, also known as UNESCO. Mm. And it's a landmark or area that has cultural, historical, scientific, or other kind of significance. UNESCO is a specialized agency of the UN based in Paris, and its purpose is to contribute to peace and security by promoting international collaboration in education, sciences, and culture in order to increase universal respect for justice, the rule of law, and human rights along with fundamental freedom proclaimed in the United Nations Charter. So the sites are legally protected by international treaties and deemed important to the collective interests of humanity. These are sites that are already classified as landmarks or historically or culturally significant. It's also a conservation effort to protect areas that might otherwise come under threat due to any number of threats but let's be real it's usually just humanity's actions. So it's to protect these places from us. And the areas are demarcated by UNESCO as protected zones and added to a list, which is maintained by the International World Heritage Program administered by the UNESCO World Heritage Committee. That's composed of 21 states parties that are elected by their General Assembly. So it's organized and operates kind of like the UN as a whole, and it is part of the UN. Under certain conditions, sites can petition for funds from UNESCO. And I'm not sure what these conditions are, but it's probably... Probably not just like, hey, man, I just need an advance on my payday. Big Vinny's goons a hounding me. And I i told him I'd have the money next week. No problem. You got to help me out. So you probably don't do that. But, no. <laughs> but you can petition for funds. As of July 2018, there are a total of 1,092 World Heritage sites.
2: That's a lot of World Heritage sites. I mean, it's
1: in the whole world, though. That's not yeah. that many. Yeah, that's really
3: not. That doesn't seem like a, yeah. a lot, actually. Um,
1: So it's across 167 countries. 845 are considered cultural and 209 natural and 38 are mixed, a mixture of the two. If anyone's curious, Italy has the most sites with Mm. 54. Then comes China with 53. Spain has 47, France has 44, and so does Germany, and India has 37, and Mexico has 35. The and-
0: U.S. has one, and it's no. the fucking
2: U.S. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus.
1: <Holy shit>. <laughs> <laughs> but we do have 23.
2: Which one, was like- one for each state. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So the history of of the project. In 1954, the government of Egypt is going to build the new Aswan High Dam across the Nile River. But they realize that the resulting reservoir from that construction is going to flood a large part of the Nile Valley that houses cultural treasures of ancient Egypt and ancient Nubia. In 1959, the governments of Egypt and Sudan petition um, petition UNESCO to help them protect the endangered monuments and sites that are there. In 1960, the director general of UNESCO launches an appeal to the member states for an international campaign to save the monuments of Nubia. And this results in successful excavation and recording of hundreds of sites and the recovery of thousands of objects and temples. And as a thank you gesture, this is really cool, Egypt then donates four temples to museums across the world, one of which is at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City. Cool! Wow! Um, they just were like, "Hey, uh, we got some spare temples. You wanna? You want one?
0: <laughs> got a? We got a King Tut. Got a King Tut here. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so this is great. And they start to do this for other member states. And then actually, it's the U.S. who's like, "Yo, wouldn't it be fucking sick if we protected both cultural? And natural sites. So the yeah. White House conference in 1965 calls for a World Heritage Trust to preserve the, quote, the world's superb natural and scenic areas and historic sites for the present and the future of the entire world citizenry.
0: Sounds like how something. F- how far we've fallen in just
2: yeah. 55 years. <laughs> yeah. like, it sounds like something Donald Trump would just shit all over yeah just be like we're not doing that anymore it's funny
0: that you brought that up because i just recently saw on the news that he in building a golf course in scotland or something destroyed these sand dunes that were like considered a a natural thing similar to what you're talking about seriously yeah and they were just like well cool he fucked it up by building a goddamn golf course so that's
2: gone now now they're sand traps
0: yeah. Uh, it would Aww. be
2: funny if it weren't <laughs> so tragic.
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs> then um, things take a little while. And in 1972, the program begins in earnest with the convention concerning the protection of the world's cultural and natural heritage, which was adopted by the General Conference of UNESCO on November 16, 1972. Since then, 193 state parties have ratified the convention, making it one of the most widely recognized international agreements and the world's most popular cultural program which is really fucking cool. The nomination and selection process for a world heritage site is a little tedious, but basically a country nominates cultural and natural sites. And then the world heritage committee selects based on criteria. There's 10 criteria and a site must meet at least one of them to be included on the list. There are six cultural and four natural criteria. The six cultural are one represents a masterpiece of human creative genius and cultural significance. Two, exhibits an important interchange of human values over a span of time or within a cultural area of the world or developments in architecture or technology. Number three, to bear a unique or at least exceptional testimony to a cultural tradition or to a civilization which is living or which has disappeared. Number four, is an outstanding example of a type of building, architectural or technological ensemble or landscape which illustrates a significant stage in human history. Five is an outstanding example of traditional human settlement, land use, or sea use, which is representative of a culture, or human interaction with the environment, especially when it has become vulnerable under impact of irreversible change. Number six is, is directly or tangibly associated with events or living traditions, with ideas or with beliefs, with artistic and literary works of outstanding universal significance. So those are
2: the cultural cultural
1: ones. ones. And then the four natural ones are... Seven, contains superlative natural phenomena or areas of exceptional natural beauty and aesthetic importance. Eight is an outstanding example representing major stages of Earth's history, including the record of life, significant ongoing geological processes in the development of landforms, or significant geomorphic or physiographic features. Number, Number nine, nine is an outstanding example representing significant ongoing ecological and biological processes in the evolution and development of terrestrial, freshwater, coastal, and marine ecosystems. Number 10 is contains the most important and significant natural habitats for the conservation of biological diversity, including those contained threatened species of outstanding universal value from the point of view of science or conservation. So I know that was a little tedious, but they're really interesting criteria, right? Yeah. And they, they, touch on a lot of different things and you at first I was like how come you only have to have one of the criteria to
2: Mm, like to qualify but But they're all so different yeah Yeah.
1: Yeah. so it's a really cool idea but I do want to mention that despite its commitment to conservation the world outside of Europe is really underrepresented so that's drawn some criticism Mm. and also uh, some sites have suffered adverse effects from mass tourism because of that
0: makes sense sure yeah so I did
1: want to mention those things because it's not all rosy and
0: like (laughs) you can't go into the uh, the peer pyramids at giza anymore i don't think and there are a lot of pyramids in mexico that you can no longer visit i actually got to climb on one and you can't do that anymore you and,
1: uh, it was your yeah, fault yeah it was
0: because then? of you yeah it was because Come of me on, Josh. yep yep it, uh at coba the coba ruins at mexico it's you peed off the side
3: like a dingus every no. time man
0: trust me it's not
2: that <laughs> yeah. it's worse it's what's worse.
1: So now I wanna talk about a world heritage site. So that's, that's what I wanted to talk about. There's just not a ton that we know about it, but I really want to talk about it for just a little bit. It's called, and um, I'm sorry about the pronunciation because I really could not find a good pronunciation guide for this.
2: Australia.
1: <laughs> <laughs> You're not that far off. Um so it's Tsingy de bamaraja National Park. Okay. It was designated a World Heritage Site by UNESCO in 1990. It's located in northwest Madagascar. Nice. That's the island we're talking about. Okay. So it's located in northwest Madagascar. It and it's basically a giant giant forest made instead of trees of huge limestone rocks.
2: Cool. Um, Whoa. These
1: are giant craggy rocks formed by a deposit of fossils and seashells under the sea 200 million years ago when thick layers of calcite at the bottom of the lagoon formed a thick limestone bed and they've been shaped by rainwater for the past 5 million years. Awesome. So, it, yeah, it's just it's just like erosion into these giant limestone rocks.
2: Would you call them agro-crags? Oh, they're yes. they (laughs) Yeah,
1: point for Chris. (laughs) Good. I just want a piece of the crag. Because of the way the island is, the erosion is vertical and horizontal, which creates the forests of needle-like, razor-sharp limestone pillars. Yikes. Um, So I do want to show you a picture of it.
2: Yeah, that is cool. It's like if you get real close down to a shag rug. But you, uh, oh,
1: yeah, yeah,
3: it's like that microscopic big. look of a rug.
2: Yeah, yeah it's like a, wonder- but, but you, you put hairspray on it and hung it upside down for a little bit, so it's all sticking up. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, it looks like a way more
0: extreme version of like the, uh, the Badlands. In oh like, yeah, the way
1: more extreme, exactly. Um. So yeah. So those those giant needle like limestone pillars are called singies, and I think it was because someone was like, "Oh yes, these singies are very cool." Yeah. <laughs> um,
3: Is it uh do, does wind like do they make noise when the wind blows through?
1: I don't think so. They don't sing. Oh no no no! That sorry, would cool. that would be it's, really I, cool. I don't know how to. It's singies with like a. Tea. At oh, okay.
2: The okay. Um, Silent so, tea. Gotcha. What you just said is a totally new thing that I think we should invent.
3: Yeah. Singing stones. That's a thing.
2: Yeah. But that place in particular, oh, I, yeah. I think we're be- we're going to start our own Star Wars, and that's one of the planets.
1: Cool. Cool. We'll
2: start our own Star Wars. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's the most so radical thing. The word "singing" is indigenous to the Malagasy language of Madagascar, but the closest English translation is "where one cannot walk barefoot."
0: <laughs> <laughs> appropriate
1: yeah so um in the 18th century the vazimba the first inhabitants of Madagascar lived in caves caves surrounding the limestone forest the site is still a place of worship for the local population and notice I said that the population lives around the site and that's because it is one of the most dangerous places on earth and yes I found this topic because I'm still haunted by the strid and I wanted to find <laughs> another other like otherworldly beautiful place that also just wants to murder you. The strid so, is coming for you. Yeah, you could say I went into a pretty deep strid hole um, to find this topic, and Gross. it still calls to me, you guys. Oh no, the strid! I hear it at night. It says, "Make me a vessel." <laughs> what does it mean? What does it mean? So yeah, it is. It is extremely dangerous. And like I said earlier, there's not much I could find out about this place since it's so exceptionally dangerous. Dangerous to go there. And, get, and, and explore there. We just cannot research it well enough.
3: I feel like I'm picturing it mostly inhabited by like reptiles, like Ooh, weird little yes. lizards and okay, shit.
1: Okay, point for Joel. Just
3: climbing around there. Um,
1: So it is basically a giant, seemingly endless, natural razor wire. Badass. And it is absolutely impossible to traverse, so it remains largely uncharted. The conditions are also incredibly harsh because at the highest points and a lot of times like the places that you would want to get to, there's a little soil and it's 90 degrees. So the other fucking mind blowing part of this World Heritage Site is its biodiversity. Many of its species exist nowhere else on the planet. These are called endemic species and most of the wildlife there is endemic. Huh. Some species exist only on one single limestone spike Whoa. Wow. and nowhere else in the world isn't that like i get chills when i think about that that's
0: fascinating
1: uh, the base of the spikes slope and summit all have their own ecosystems
0: that's
2: so you find wild. different
1: types of animals depending on the part of the spike that you could be looking at
2: that's so cool i know Crazy.
1: it's it's amazing this um, is
2: definitely a star war
1: <laughs> yeah, this is one of the <laughs> Wars. Is... Every time a team goes to research the area, they find at least five new species. <laughs> every, wow. single, every single time. Um, and they don't research it a ton. So they find new species, species like the Brookesia minuscules chameleon, mm-hmm. which is a teeny, teeny, tiny chameleon smaller than a human fingernail whose tongue is longer than its entire body. And, just like me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's
3: just coiled up inside you. And
1: it's found nowhere else on the planet. And I'm also going to show you a picture of that.
3: Wow. Wow. He's on a he's fingernail so tiny. like they just put him down on somebody's yeah. fingernail. He looks so, tiny. And so, so cute
1: because he's a chameleon. He they um They don't change color because they don't need to. Their camouflage is they just look like a little tiny dead leaf on the ground. <laughs> that's what they go for. They um, and also because um they play dead when they're that's their defense mechanism. So you think it's just like a dried up, curled up dead leaf. And they almost like missed them when they were down there and just like happened to find him. And he doesn't exist anywhere else on the planet. So this site, I'll just end by saying, um, the criteria that it fulfills, there's two of them and it's the two, two of the natural ones. Um, number seven, which is just to remind you the natural phenomena or areas of exceptional beauty or aesthetic importance and number 10 which is the significant natural habitat for conservation of biological diversity because a lot of the species are are also unfortunately endangered well and
3: yeah they're basically immediately endangered yeah. <laughs> <laughs> discovered
0: it's like well this yeah. is an endangered species there are exactly. seven of these and we just stepped on three yeah. of them <laughs> Shit.
1: Yeah. But yeah, I love the idea of World Heritage Sites. I think it's really cool and that they're, they're protected. And like this one in particular, I just had to talk about because it is, it's crazy and fascinating. And there's also like different biomes in the site. So like the part of it that's actually the spikes is, is one ecosystem, probably similar to, I don't know what like Joel was talking about, places where like lizards and stuff live. But on the bottom, <laughs> it's more like a rainforest. And then surrounding it are savannas. And it's all in this, like, tiny part of an island. Just like Minecraft.
2: Yeah.
3: Just like Minecraft.
2: Everything's like Minecraft if you zoom out far <laughs> enough.
1: <laughs> <laughs> One out of four experts have a Gmail account and multiple social media
2: sites. I'm Brookie the Dragon. One wow. wow. experts. Josh is going to go next. Josh,
0: what do you got for us?
3: Ooh, I hated that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, Caitlin was just kind of talking about a couple weird little animals. So, uh, we've already learned that there are some weird-ass animals in nature. Like, there are tons of creatures that are things that are straight out of your most terrifying nightmares. And sometimes these creatures are vicious as shit, and they want to tear into your flesh and take things that should be inside of your body and displace them to the outside of your body. And then sometimes these creatures really look nightmarish, but they're completely benevolent, and they just want to keep to their own shit, you know? Can
1: I ask? Can I guess? Yeah. Ghost shark?
0: No. Oh. Ghost shark. Are you thinking goblin shark? Goblin shark, that's what I mean. No, good good guess, but no. Oh. Uh, today I'm going to talk about the Olm, otherwise known as the cave salamander or the proteus.
3: Whoa. Oh. Jesus. Mm, another,
1: yeah. Another kind of Olm that you're talking... This is Olm talk <laughs> with so this Josh. Is,
0: well, this is <laughs> <laughs> so this is an Olm, O-L-M. Oh, I see, I see. Yeah. Okay, I and, thought you uh, were talking
1: about those Schumann resonances. No. There's so
0: many good... <laughs>
3: Why does this thing have so many cool names, Josh? Uh, let me get into does it. Does it
1: have legends?
0: Not quite. Oh, actually, and a legends, little bit. A little bit, yes. A legends bit. and Tales? I'm going to give Caitlin a give hidden temple? point. Ooh. No. Aww. No hidden temple. The Ulm is fascinating. It's basically an anamorph that got stuck in the middle of transforming ah. from a salamander to a human. Yeah. And what? it got stuck being much closer to a salamander than a human. Yeah. So. <laughs> well,
3: does it just have big, beefy man arms? No,
0: <laughs> not quite. I, but
1: need, I need to see this. I need to.
0: So the Ulm is found only in caves located in areas of Slovenia, Croatia, and Bosnia. It's found
2: only in caves? Chris gets a point. Yeah. Oh, God damn it! <laughs> Can we switch over to its name?
1: I, I feel name? fucking terrible for not so missing that.
2: The that's- Proteus name
0: comes from its uh, like Latin name, Proteus Anguinus. Which is pretty badass, uh-huh. but yeah, that's that's about as far as I go into that. So while technically an amphibian, it pretty much lives its entire life underwater. And the almost first documented in 1689 by a naturalist known simply as Valvasor. Oh, what? <laughs> <That's> definitely. <a laughs> why
3: Pokemon. didn't he that name is, it is,
0: yeah. so, that? So, so uh, I mean, that guy's name was Valvasor. That's that was his last name. Uh, why didn't? Uh, just,
3: yeah. Why did they, they it name
1: that? it that?
0: We'll get into that. So, uh, but Valvasor, he was ass-ugly if renditions of his likeness are accurate, and his real name was Johann Weichert Freiherr von Valvasor. No, so no. I totally get why he just wanted to go by Valvasor because that sounds like the name of a badass robot pterodactyl.
1: They kind <laughs> of look like axolotls.
0: They do look a lot like axolotls, and they're kind of related in the sense that they're, they're both amphibians, but okay. they're totally separate from one another. Okay. So the Olm was documented in a work by Valvasor called The Glory of the Duchy of Carniola, which is a sort of encyclopedia that that. That described Carniola, which is present-day Slovenia. And this work spanned 15 books, over four volumes, totaling over 3,500 pages with over 500 illustrations. Valvasaur is also the first person to document vampires, apparently. What? So this is back in the 1600s. It wasn't like
1: Lord Byron or something? Nope.
0: Well he like he claims that he documented actual proof of vampires, oh, I, I guess. But when Valvasaur first observed the Ohm, he noticed that they washed up from underground waters after heavy rainfall. Oh
1: gross. And
0: people in that area thought they were that Olm's were the offspring of a dragon living in the caves. Nice, baby. said sense.
1: they baby dragons. Yeah, uns-
0: they legit thought that they were baby dragons. I, got a real I mean, they um kind
1: of problem
3: are. in my basement. Yeah, see, they <laughs> just <laughs> been coming up. My I mean, sump pump keep getting clogged up with
1: all these ohms. It basically is a baby dragon.
0: So I didn't even really describe what these things look like yet. I know Caitlin just pulled up a picture, but I they had to see. They look very interesting. So. I can't say that they look like baby dragons, but, you know, they look really unique. So they grow to between 8 and 12 inches long, but some have been reported to grow as long as 16 inches. And they're like the exact color of white people's skin. Like, it's creepy how fleshy they look. It seems
3: like they are from the Caucasus. They are Caucasian. (laughs) Yeah, oh, for sure.
0: And since they're a funky type of salamander, they got these silly little legs, especially relative to how long they are. So most amphibians have four little fingers on their front legs and five little fingers on their back legs, but the ohm only has three little fingers on its front yeah. legs and two little fingers on its back wow. legs. Aww. Oh no. So in addition to looking like a long flaccid wiener with tiny little arms, <laughs> oh. its eerily white person's skin is translucent. Uh. So you can see all of its organs inside its wiggly wiener body Uh, does it pulsate (laughs) i don't know (laughs) i i hope so but for something that looks so much like a soft wiggly wiener it's kind of tough to tell males apart from females so the male cloaca is just a different size and shape compared to the female cloaca and you could only tell which is which once they start banging so a fun little mini topic for the uninitiated uh, cloacas uh, a cloaca Josh
1: loves talking about cloacas
3: <laughs> a cloaca is, is
0: horrified well a cloaca is the only opening for digestive, reproductive, and urinary tracts for lots of different kinds of animals. It's, it's the three-in-one get-or-done hole that the olm pees out of, poops out of, and has sex out of the it's, holy trinity. It's the super Walmart of body holes uh, cloacas uh, <laughs> Ah. <laughs> so the ulm has got a cloaca, but what the Ulm doesn't really have is sight because its eyes don't do anything. Aww. So the Ulm has eyes; they just stop developing almost immediately, and then they atrophy and they sit deep beneath the skin, so they don't really function at all.
1: Why are they there? Uh, yeah, why, why are they there? Because well, I mean, have like wisdom teeth and tonsils yeah. and stuff. Well, yeah, I it think was,
3: in, at some point it's expecting to inherit the earth and just (laughs) grow
0: its eyes back. So at some point, I mean, you know, tens of millions of years ago, they didn't live completely underground, so they had eyes. And then after they kept breeding underground through thousands and thousands of generations, their eyes just kind of fell out of use. So they are like, fuck it, we don't need to put energy into growing them, let's not. Now this is where things get kind of creepy. Despite being completely unable to see, they
2: always swim away from light. What? Well, are they totally unable to see? Because you said because you said their skin is a little translucent. Maybe their skin is like
1: photosensitive. Yeah, that's
0: yes. What I was Caitlin saying. gets a point. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Caitlin beats beat you to it.
0: Sorry, Joel. <laughs> the Ulm has photosensitive skin cells. So they just automatically push themselves as far into darkness as possible, like reflexively. To make up for their lack of vision, their wide flat head has lots of room for super powerful sensory organs. They have an incredibly good sense of smell. They can smell like the tiniest microscopic amounts of organic matter floating around in water. And they could sniff out food and live off of practically no food. Like they can go up to 10 years without eating, which is pretty insane.
3: Yeah, wow. Yeah,
0: that's cool. In addition to a badass snoot, the Ohm can hear like a motherfucker, and it has multiple hearing organs in its head that allow it to detect sound through water and vibrations through the ground. And the Ohm possesses the ability to detect electromagnetic fields. Oh, wow. And there have been experiments that suggest the Ohm uses the Earth's magnetic field to orient itself in the dark. So it uses its ability to detect the Earth's magnetic field to figure out which way is up or down. The Ohm lives in underground water, which is typically between 46 and 52 degrees Fahrenheit, so it's pretty chilly. And their growth and the rate they hatch heavily relies on the temperature of the water. So eggs hatch much faster in warmer water, as quickly as 90 days, and much slower in colder water, averaging at around 140 days before hatching. But after hatching, they don't reach sexual maturity for 14 years, despite being full-grown after just four months. So, for like 14 years, they're just full grown, wiggly man babies <laughs> that can't bang. Useless cloaca. <laughs> <laughs> also, these things live for a really long time. On average, they live to 69 years old. Oh yup, yeah. wow. Wow. Yep, yeah. 69. Uh, nice. But that's just an average. So that means there are lots of ohms that live well beyond 69 years old. And statistically speaking, they could live to well over 100, Damn. which is wild because they're just these little worms. Yeah. Uh, but oh, maybe man. that's in part because they show no physical signs of aging. What? They physically do not age.
3: Oh, wait. I feel like I've heard about this part of this.
0: Yeah. So there are like a, a few animals that seemingly don't age.
3: Their cell degradation is like really weird, right?
0: Yeah. It, it just like they don't degrade, basically. I'm going to give you a point, Joel. Depending where exactly the ohms are from, their bodies can differ pretty significantly. And there's a small area that's less than 40 square miles in Slovenia that spawned the Black Ohm. Oh, yeah. That's a great
1: metal band name. And yeah,
0: actually, yeah. And uh, as the name suggests, the Black Ohm is black. So it's also a bit longer than your typical Ohm and it has visible eyeballs. And uh, they were actually discovered very recently in 1986. Whereas the original Olms were discovered back in the 1600s. While the Olms habitat remained largely unchanged for like 20 million years, pollution is leaking into the caves and waters the Olm calls home, so it is a threatened and vulnerable species.
1: Of course it is.
0: But there are a few conservation efforts underway. Scientists have a bunch of them in captivity that they've been keeping and breeding and studying since the 1950s. So they've already bred like several generations of these things. And even though their natural numbers are declining, hopefully scientists can harness all their crazy superpowers before they totally vanish off the face of the earth. But I hope humans follow shortly after, or better yet, I hope the ohm outlives all of humanity. Oh, it will. By millennia. And grows oh, yeah. its
3: eyes back and takes over the world. Yeah, I,
1: yeah. Have, I have no fear that that's what will happen.
0: Yes. Good. But uh, yeah, I had never heard of the Ohm until I started researching this topic, and they're cool as shit, and yeah. I like them. They sound pretty gross to me, Josh, I'm not gonna lie. That's fine Pretty that's, grossed out That's alright
1: <laughs> Chris is what making do they faces eat? Wait, the Wait did whole you time. tell us What did they eat?
0: They eat mostly just like Microscopic organic matter Okay So just like little tiny Life forms Plankton. Smaller than them Yeah like whatever happens To float around In underground cave water Ooh Yeah That's it <laughs> Fuck off <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Wow First. Welcome back. Uh, Joel, happy 4th of July. Did we even say that it was the 4th, 4th of July? Yeah.
0: Nah, yeah. we just said it was morning.
3: We oh, did.
1: Yeah. Well, happy 4th of July, buddy.
3: I'm surprised that none of us did like an Independence Day, July 4th centric yeah. subject, and I did not either. So, uh-huh.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, well, then what is it?
3: So mine is an event. It is an event that occurs in the world.
1: Is it an event horizon? It's
3: Oh, God.
0: (laughs) Is it Aurora Borealis? (laughs) It's
3: not. Uh, So it's the year 2000. It's late August, well into the new millennium. You find yourself in Mm Sevelina, Finland, Mm -hmm. for an international championship. Mm -hmm. The first of its kind, in fact. The event is sponsored by some insurance company, but you don't give a shit. You've spent the night drinking with the boys. And your cell phone has slowly been crapping the bed for weeks. You can't hear shit. Your girl dumped you because she thought you said strip club when you really just went to hang out down at Phipps Pub again. Your rage has been building. You're ready to relieve some frustration. You walk up to the jury's table. and You pick out your perfect projectile. Ooh, that's going to be fun in the microphone. (laughs) You heft its weight, gently tossing it in your hand. This will do nicely, you think to yourself. You walk up to the marked-off throwing area. You wind up. And you huck this old mobile phone as hard and as far as you possibly can. It turns out it's uh, as far as anyone can this year, and you've just thrown a phone forty-eight meters or one hundred and fifty-seven point forty-eight feet for those American idiots. And your name is Erno Rihilda, or excuse me, Rihella. So R I I H E L A.
2: Is it a phone throwing? Competition!
3: You just won the first ever mobile phone throwing competition. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. You get a point.
2: You're welcome. It's
3: uh, it's actually a mobile phone throwing world championship. So this contest was brought about by insurance companies in Finland, trying to raise awareness of a toxic waste problem they had. Too many people were throwing their phones in lakes.
0: Car batteries, <laughs> car batteries in the ocean.
3: Pretty much. Uh, <laughs> so this started as a big recycling event. Um, Originally set up in August of the millennium by an inter, uh, excuse me, interpretation and translation company called Mm. Finolingua. Fin with an E, Finolingua. So they. Basically kicking off with mostly members of their multinational staff. Some local athletes also participated in the event, and it soon became world news. And uh, it blew up in the following years and became a world championship. So the championship has been held every year since the Millennium, and this year it will be August 20th. So if you guys want to go chuck some phones, yeah, we can do that.
2: Can you can any old schmuck off the street just absolutely walk in? Hell I'm pretty yeah. sure,
3: yeah. I, it doesn't it didn't say, but like there's a lot of travel sites that specify like, hey, go to this event and chuck some phones. Huh. So all the international interest in the championship actually led to a bunch of national events, and the first being in Norway in 2004. The winners of the national events, in most cases, win trips to go to the world championship. So you get to like go throw phones.
2: With the big dogs. <laughs> with the big
3: dogs, yeah. So in Germany in 2005, they also held a uh, national championship, and the winners just won, like, new mobile phones. <laughs> <You show laughs> That's a good and, idea. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. So what are the rules? How's this work?
1: What are the rules?
3: The uh, the sponsors provide all the phones, so you don't bring your own phone, but you probably could, and they'd be fine with it's it. It's not BYOP? Yeah, <laughs> they uh, they have a wide selection of make and model. The phone must weigh between two hundred and twenty and four hundred grams. So they have like a specific window.
2: That makes sense. You can't bring your own phone because then you could be weighing it. You can yeah. you could you can mod it out. And right? Yeah, make it, yeah. Uh,
3: make it a real heavy.
2: Easier, oh yeah, uh, easier to throw.
3: So during your throw, you must stay within the throwing area, and the phone must land within the mark throwing sector. So like. It's just a big, long throwing track. It's got to stay within those lines. And uh, there is an official jury who can disqualify any throw that they deem unacceptable. And there is no drug testing. But if the jury deems (laughs) you unfit to throw, you can't throw. (laughs) So uh, the jury's decisions are final and cannot be protested. Wow. Uh, It's a jury of three folks. Do they abuse
2: their power? They
3: greatly abuse their power, (laughs) yeah. So... The championship What is, they're
1: doing is very important, so... Yeah. yeah.
3: It's, yeah, it's of, of international importance. Yeah. So the championship is split into four categories. The original category, which is traditional over-the-shoulder throw, only the length of the throw counts, and the furthest throw wins, and there is a men's and women's series split up. So my favorite, number two... Of the four categories is the freestyle category. <laughs> and um, there's no age limit. There are teams. You can you can have a team and it can include men or women, and the max size is three. And uh the best part is style and aesthetic will be judged. Ooh. So can you like can you
2: can you dress up and that'll yes, be part of it? Yup,
3: that's exactly okay. it's like themed, it's like the Red costumes. Bull fluke of phone throwing.
1: <laughs> so, or like, or like- like ice dancing.
3: I can't even imagine. I, I There's a couple of great YouTube videos of this, and I didn't get too deep into, I didn't have, really take the time to get deep into like what the goofs are, but I'm sure they're hilarious. So the jury will judge the overall appearance grading from one to six points and one throw per person. So the next okay. category is team original, which is uh, traditional over the shoulder, and it's a three-person max team, and the teams can be men or women. Again, these are Unlike the freestyle, it's split. So you have to have it on all men or all women's team. And the members are scored. uh, All the scores are added up on the team. So the furthest throws across a whole team wins. And then there's a juniors category, which is same thing, traditional over the shoulder. But you must be 12 or under to participate. Do people try to sneak in? Maybe.
0: I mean like 40 year old. Yeah, man.
3: there's this like <laughs> <laughs> it's just a two, 30 year old dude like just, yeah, just, I'm 12 just to get the
0: two 40 year olds sitting on uh, each other's shoulders in a real tall trench coat and they're like,
1: "I'm 12?" Yeah. Oh
0: God, opposite. yeah. They're
1: like, "Hey, what are all the youths talk what are all us youths talking about today?"
0: Dab.
3: <laughs> nice. So, I mean, there's a lot of great stats on this Wikipedia page like they cover there's like big grids that that share like all this yearly information about the furthest distance every year and the country that got it and the man or woman who does it. But I'm going to cover some quick stats. Just the uh, world records right now stand at 110.42 meters or 362.3 feet Jeez. by a guy named Drez Ferrymans from Belgium. And uh,
1: what kind of phone was it?
3: Oh, you know, it doesn't say the it doesn't say the phone. I feel like that's important. It is, yeah. I didn't. I I want to know. I'm (laughs) a little curious now myself, but I don't. Yeah, it doesn't specify. There's
0: a Motorola Razor, right? That's what
3: I'm picturing. I feel like the heavier phones would go further, right? Like a heavier phone is really going to. I just know the Razors so
1: well, you know. Like I know that that's. I feel like it's important to 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 know the phone, and that's how it's going to determine.
2: You throw an
3: open or closed.
2: Definitely closed. Um, yeah,
1: I'm throwing it closed. Okay.
2: Yeah, open is not aerodynamic. I yeah. think oh. if you can, if you can just not even have a flip phone. A
3: razor, though. I mean, you could throw that like a shuriken, and but it, it just like, but it doesn't. <laughs> no, it doesn't
0: would... open flat.
3: You know, no, it's got a little true. bit of a noise. to It's going to tumble. It. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So this was um, this Belgium guy. He did this in in 2014 uh, on on a men's team. This is a man, and then the women's world record is 67.58 meters or 221.7 feet. And nice. this was by Yvonne Wiener from Austria uh-huh. in 2017. Wiener. <laughs> yep. So those are the two world records. But again, this I urge people to go check out the stats online because there's some really cool shit. They have like it all laid out up until 2019. So overall, it's a pretty fun event. And it seems to be taken far more seriously than it has any right to be. Uh, but it helps to promote recycling, which is awesome. And because these batteries are a toxic waste, we really should be paying attention to this shit. And like, I don't think the rest of the world really like, well, specifically the USA has a problem with recycling. So we should probably figure that out at some point. But the whole thing seems to be a pretty cool phone throwing party. And uh, anyway, here's a clip courtesy of On Demand News. YouTube channel from 2012's event highlighting one of the top phone throwers, Iri Karjalainen, uh, and how he prepped for the event.
2: Let's take a listen, Joel. How did you prepare for this?
1: Uh,
3: she she drank yesterday.
0: experts. Wow. Uh, Welcome back to the end of the show. We're going to end it the same way we started it, with a big ol' pitch scoop. And, uh... Another one! Ah, We got some points. I wasn't even planning for that one. It just kind of happened because I didn't plot my sentence before I opened my dumb fucking mouth. Who who won the points there, Josh? This was a pretty even-scoring game. We do have two ties. So, in last place, with three points, Chris and myself. Oh, nice. No. In first place, with four
2: points, Caitlin and Joel. Wow. Ooh. So, th- I think this is the first tiebreaker we've had where one of the two people wasn't the first one to go yeah, this we, week. We, so, yeah. what do we do? What do Uh-oh. We do?
3: What do we do? What do we do?
1: I mean, I went earlier in the episode than Joel.
3: It's true, I went last, so I should go first.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. And the last shall be first. Fair enough.
3: <laughs> nice. Rage Against the Machine lyrics.
1: Oh, I was more thinking like the, the Bible. Bible. Yeah, I know.
2: I, <laughs> I didn't go there. Rage Against the Machine, the Bible. Yeah. It's the uh, same.
1: Same, di- same difference. Sure.
3: So let's thank the people that we like to thank, which is Chris and Jeremiah for his hard work on our graphics. Chris does all the music, uh, and he has a new album out called Tractor Beam. Go check that out. If you want to listen to... Uh, some more of Chris it's very much not like our theme song but it's still good music if you want more like our theme song then write Chris an email at 1 out of 4 experts at gmail.com and uh, you're doing a
2: bad job do a keep theme song it. keep doing keep doing the theme song
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah just stick with theme songs Chris thanks um,
2: okay. and Droopy thank and you, Droopy. Droopy
3: oh yeah, yeah 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 Droopy's gonna come in and he did his thing already so that's good thank you Droopy um what are we doing next week? Yes. What are we doing Let's next week? Talk about
1: week? some stuff next week. I'm
3: gonna talk about the origins of the word "shit" and why we say it so goddamn much, and why Caitlin thinks it's so funny.
1: I'm gonna talk about the Oregon Trail and how you can just you just do it today. I'm gonna <laughs> no. talk.
0: I'm gonna talk about origami, uh,
2: bubblegum origami. I'm going to be talking about oars that you row a boat with, oars, next week on this podcast.
0: One out of One out
2: of, one one out one out of, out four, of four orgies.
0: Or- uh,
1: or-
2: experts. <clears throat> so uh, if you picture it... Uh, if you picture... Uh, so I'm sorry. I just, uh, let me start this over. It's, it's <laughs> just about 11 a.m. and Chris has already had seven beers. <laughs> <laughs> <World of> experts. <laughs>